With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You're listening to the EWN Podcast Network. This is Dr. Judy Cook welcoming you to Shrink Wrapped, where you can learn new skills to shrink away some of your problems and find more rapture in this incredible life. Today's guest is Gretchen Martins, and we will be discussing a topic near and dear to my heart, happiness. Gretchen is a multi-talented woman whose work is based on three decades spent in a combination of anthropology, coaching, education, and improvisational comedy. It all came to a focus on happiness after she wound up in an ER thinking she was having a stroke, only to find out it was job-related stress. She terminated her job and has taken a new direction. Having lost two colleagues myself, a psychiatrist and a social worker, both of whom had strokes related to work-related stress, I am so glad Gretchen not only changed direction, but is using this experience to help many others deal with the same problem. So Gretchen, welcome to the show. Judy, I am so excited to be here. Thank you for inviting me as your guest. Oh, it's it's just great to have you here. And uh, I can't wait to hear more about this whole story about how you really have come down to focus on this area. Uh, as I understand, after you had that bad experience, you decided to quit your job and you went off to Bataan. And that's related to them being head of a global happiness movement. So tell me about the story about Bhutan and that global happiness movement. Right. So Bhutan is the country in 2011 that inadvertently started the global happiness movement. It's a teeny tiny country in between India and China. And they had brought a resolution to the United Nations saying that as developed countries are helping underdeveloped countries to grow, that there are things that are more important than money. And one of those things that's more important is happiness. So that's how Bhutan got to be the center of the global happiness movement. Good for them. Good for them. So you went over there with what goal in mind? Well, you know, and and you're right, the the stroke or the, the stress that was manifesting his stroke symptoms (laughs) was really a wake-up call. How can it not be? I'm 55 years old. I've been in perfect health. And all of a sudden, I'm in the emergency room thinking I'm having a stroke. And so out of conversations with some friends, I realized that I, I was stuck and that I did have options because I had some savings. And After a happy hour with some friends, I went to bed. This was on March 3rd of 2017. And in the middle of the night, my eyes just popped open. And this is exactly what was in my brain. I need to leave this job. I need to go to Bhutan, study happiness, come back and write a book called Think 
like Bhutan. And that that's basically what happened. But it was one of those things where sometimes when you've done the work to be really connected with yourself and the inside and to listen to that inner voice, you just know what you're meant to do. And it didn't really make any sense. Bhutan wasn't on my bucket list. I'd never thought about quitting my job and literally going halfway around the planet. But it turned out to be the best gift that I could have given myself. And and what was it that specifically allowed you to know this about Bhutan and, and choose that as a place to go? Well, a part of it is I mean, one, as as a coach, and I work with a lot of people, and, and like psychiatrists, only maybe not quite as intensely, coaches work with people that are stuck. And I realized that I was really stuck. And I also realized that I, you know, it, I'm a person like many women, I think, where it's hard to ask for help. And I had really leaned on my friends and my business colleagues this time in terms of of really exploring being stuck and and what I needed to do to move forward. And in terms of, I call it getting the call, and and I don't believe that many are called, few are chosen. I believe that many are called and most of us don't even pick up the phone. We're like, hey, can someone get that phone call? We're like, really, the phone is ringing. Would someone pick that up? And the few of us that pick up the phone and we listen to the pitch say, oh my gosh, that I, I don't know how to do that. That sounds really hard. It's scary. And so it's not that many are called, few are chosen. It's just most of us don't have the courage to step into the unknown. And that's something um, life has taken me, I call it my curvilinear life. Um, and I've just been at that point multiple times in my life where sort of catastrophic things happened and I had no choice but to move on. And so I've become very... Um, attached, connected to that inner voice. And so when the call that call came in the middle of the night on March 3rd, I'd been through that two or three, four times before in my life, and I knew the energy of it. And there was such a groundedness of this is what I meant to do, even though on the surface, it made no choice, uh, no sense. So what's the most important thing you've learned from the experience to date? Well, one of the things that I didn't realize going, but coming back, I realized I've been through so many things in my life. I just kind of think like, oh, this is what I'm doing. And what I realized is just how much of a stretch and, and uh, you know, I hate to say, oh, I'm so courageous, but really to pick up and go to Bhutan by yourself as a 55-year-old woman and meet up with a driver and a guide you've never met before and spend two and a half weeks tooling around Bhutan actually is a bit of a courageous uh, yes. thing to do. And it's funny because people ask me like, well, you know, what's your like one takeaway? And there were so many things. That's the whole purpose of um, I'm writing several different books at this point, a couple short ones, and then the longer book, Think Like Bhutan. But the thing that really, really struck me is that Bhutan is genuinely a happy place. It's like they run an entirely different operating system there. So the entire time I was there, I never heard anybody yell. I never witnessed an argument. Nobody was ever unkind or rude to me. Uh, I wasn't just a tourist or a visitor. I was a guest and my guide and my driver, their whole mandate was to make sure that I was happy. And wow. so, I mean, yeah, it, it was just, 
such a different experience and coming back to the United States, um, there's so much work that we can do around happiness. And, and when we look at what's going on in our world, I think that there's an element where happiness holds a real key. It's a solution. Well, Ian, and I, I know you, you mentioned that Amazon carries over 175,000 products related to happiness. So it sure looks like an awful lot of people are looking for it, but maybe they're looking for happiness in all the wrong places. Well, it, exactly. And when you look at the fact, like our Constitution says that we are entitled, right, the, 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 to the pursuit of happiness, it's an inalienable right. And I think it's created this mindset for us that we're entitled to be happy. And I think we also, my big question is how can we be so obsessed with happiness? And and we're such a wealthy country with so much access to resources and stuff. And yet people are so unhappy. And and you know this as a psychiatrist, Absolutely. 75% of adult Americans right now are very stressed, overwhelmed, and worried about the future of our country and how can that be when we have so many things around us and I think it's an important question for us to explore as individuals families communities of, of what happiness really means and you know is it a pursuit or can we learn to be happy right where we are well, and I think that's that's the key we have to learn to find that happiness inside ourselves just like acceptance has to come from inside ourselves uh, otherwise it doesn't really take hold so, well um, and i read in again you know so much more about this than i do but i read that the latest um dsmv the the diagnostic manual for psychologists mm -hmm. and psychiatrists that there's actually a diagnosis called facebook depression i mean how absurd is that well, I haven't, haven't, <laughs> that must be a newer revised edition, but actually, you know, I think the whole social media uh, strata, you know, we are, if you look at how society's changed in the last couple hundred years, we've gone from an agrarian society where the communities and families were all close, clustered together. We worked, you know, by, you know, the sweat of our back and we were connected to nature. And now people, you know, live in high rises, crowded together, traveling by car, working in an industrial site, uh, are so busy they may not have time to talk to their neighbors. Uh, and, and now the communication is email or text or uh, things like that. We don't have that interactedness and that, that connectedness. And I think that that takes a big toll. I think the negativity that we get so much of in the news takes a toll uh, and, and the cyberbullying and just all of that disconnection. So I, I call it computer-created craziness disorder. But uh... <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm there with you. People get very taken aback and people will sometimes, because I'm now speaking quite a bit on the topic of happiness. And it's always like, well, what are the three keys to happiness or the five keys? And it's like, that's going to be a little bit different for each person. But people are very taken aback that I go off the grid um, at least half a day a week. And sometimes I'll take a whole day on Saturday or Sunday. And every year I take a personal spiritual retreat. And except for family, because I have an 
elderly father and stepmom who are in bad health. I mean, other than family that know how to get in touch with me in case someone's in the hospital, I'm off the grid and people say, oh my gosh, like, how do you do it? And it's like, well, I leave the house and I don't bring my computer and I leave my cell phone off all day. It's actually very simple and very healthy and refreshing. Oh, oh, it is. I mean, I took a vacation a few years back to Tanzania. And so it was 10 heavenly days. I mean, not only was the place and the wildlife and everything wonderful, there was no phone, no computer, no television. I mean, you talk about off the grid at one point in a big tent out on the Tanzanian uh, plains. Mm. And, uh, oh, it was just absolutely the most refreshing, recharging vacation because I was away from that other stuff and I was connected with nature and it was very, very health giving. So uh, yeah, more people need to take those deliberate times off the grid. And you know, I came back and the world was still there. It it hadn't dysfunctioned because I wasn't there taking care of things. (laughs) Well, and it's funny because you've mentioned that the topic of nature twice so far in at in this interview and that's another piece that we really forget i mean as if you go back because i'm an anthropologist by training you know we human beings evolved in nature and it's only been as you mentioned about the past 50 60 years that we've become very very detached from nature and there are so many things that are healing about being in nature, I know I used to live outside of Washington, D.C., and when I would get very stressed, it didn't matter what I was doing, I would just stop and I would go to Great Falls Park where they have huge waterfalls and the Olympic um, kayakers will train there in whitewater kayaking because they're class five rapids. And the minute I would get out of my car and get to a very certain place at the edge of the parking lot, you could feel the temperature go down and you could hear the falls and the quality of the air change and my stress would just melt away. Mm -hmm. Like the minute I hit that point, and I think that's such an important thing that I think we forget as we're so urbanized is the importance of being in nature. Well, I I agree. I I think it's it's so important. Uh, And it's a part of recognizing our, our roots and our rootedness. Uh, it, it's I, I use lessons from nature when I'm helping people in therapy and, and kind of help them reframe things using those metaphors. And, and you know, I, I don't want to skip to the day when, when nobody's seen anything in nature and doesn't even know what I'm talking about because, you know, that would get really tough. We've got to have that connect. So anyway, you mentioned uh, that there's a joke about a, a cow, a dog, and a goat going to a festival <laughs> in Bhutan. And uh, so I want to hear the joke and how that ties into happiness. Yeah, it's funny. So in Bhutan, telling jokes is such a big thing. And and there's a cultural element to humor that sometimes is hard to get. So they told me this joke, which I'll share with you. And it was told just as a joke. But as I thought about it, wearing my coaching anthropology hat, it really kind of encapsulates some really important lessons about happiness. So the joke is that a cow, a dog, and a goat decide to go to the festival in Punaka. So Bhutan has festivals frequently to various gods and to celebrate various holidays. And so they hop in a cab, and the cab drives them to Punaka. And the cab driver says, oh, that's going to be 150 nildrum, the local currency. 
So the cow opens up his wallet and he gives the driver his share, 50 Nildrum, and he hops out of the, the cab. And the dog opens up his wallet. Well, he only has 100 Nildrum notes. So he gives that to the driver and is waiting for change. And the goat realizes that he's left his wallet at home. And so he hops out of the car and runs away because he's really embarrassed. Well, the cab driver has his his fare, so he drives off. And so that explains why cows will always stand in the middle of the road because they've paid their dues. And it explains why dogs always chase after the cars because they're waiting to get their change. And it explains why the goat will always run away from traffic because he's ashamed of not paying his, his dues. So in <laughs> Bhutan, this is a hilarious joke, which loses a bit in translation yeah. in the United States because we don't have livestock in the middle of the road. But if you've ever been to that area or India, um, you know that cows are in the road and you just sit there till they move. I mean, this is just what they do. So anyway, there that was the joke. But as I thought more about that, and, and when I was in Bhutan, I took copious notes because I really was there to study happiness. How can these people who um, only fairly recently have all had access to electricity, they have limited access to television, they by and large don't have a lot of stuff, they live in very small homes, how is it that they're so happy with so little and we have so much and yet as a society we're so pervasively unhappy? And so what I realized in terms of lessons of happiness, you know, the cow standing in the middle of the road, it's like, do you claim what's yours to claim? Do you own your power even when it's scary? And do you own your own truth even when it's inconvenient? And I think we're so taught not to toot our own horn. We don't want to look egotistical. And yet if there's something that we've done that's genuinely ours to claim, and we're not trying to make somebody else feel badly by sharing our experiences or our accomplishments, there, there's no shame in doing that. Um, so that's the lesson for me of the cow. And then the dog, and I think we see this so much in our society of people chasing what's not likely to happen. That dog was never going to get his change back. Um, where do we hold on to grudges? Where do we you know, count unpaid debts? And we're there just gripped in this drama that doesn't serve us. One of my favorite sayings is revenge is when you take the poison and hope the other person dies. Mm -hmm. You know, how, how does that help you? And then finally the goat, you know, what are you running away from? I think we all carry or many of us carry tremendous amounts of, of guilt and shame. And it's like, can you ask yourself for forgiveness? Or, I mean, can you ask others for forgiveness? And more importantly, can you forgive our, yourself? And Absolutely. I think a lot of times we carry guilt and shame, and the other person ha isn't even thinking, oh, what a terrible person you are, but we carry that ourselves. I, I think that's a really uh, important point. We, we have a, a tendency, at least in this country, to have a lot of, stigma against all kinds of emotional things it's like you almost don't talk about your feelings good bad or indifferent uh, but especially those that might not be okay or that maybe you should be ashamed of or, or whatever and, and we see more and more people uh you know covering that up with alcohol and drugs and psychiatric meds and it's clearly not working because the problem is just getting worse 
So uh, we've got to do some some more to be teaching people uh, about how to be how to be happy. You know, one of my own observations in traveling to other countries uh, is uh, that I watch people who are in these circumstances, as you mentioned, Bhutan, where they don't have electricity. They don't have this, that, and the other. You know, again, in, in Tanzania, <clears throat> they're living in a, a uh, hut made out of, of pieces of wood that are then covered with cow manure, and they don't have inside lights or anything like that, and yet they're happy. You know, I've watched people washing their clothes on the rock in a river or in the river and then putting them out on the rocks to dry. And and they're not unhappy. And yet in this country, if you don't have the newest this, that or the other or your fingernail breaks, it's it's like a major catastrophe. And it's almost like the affluenza has has taken away some of our joy and happiness in life. Well, and I think, you know, you hit on that earlier with just the way that we've detached from people. And I think we've forgotten what really, really matters. And it's something you and I talked about as we were talking about doing this interview, the difference between internal and externally driven happiness. And it's a sort of strange thing about me, I'll own this, that I like to walk in cemeteries. And I'm also a photographer, so I like to photograph old tombstones. And if you spend time in cemeteries, and you read the tombstones, they say things like, you know, beloved mother and, you know, dearly departed father. And they talk about how people made a difference. They talk about being loved and and the contributions that they made to families, to communities. And I've never seen a tombstone that said, here lies Janet and she had an immaculately clean house or here <laughs> lies Fred and he, he had a really cool Ferrari or here lie Joseph and Mary, and, and they had an awesome McMansion. Um, at the end of the day, when we're six feet under or we're cremated or whatever we do at the end of our lives, we're not measured by our stuff. We're measured by the people. And you mentioned going off the grid in Tanzania and you came back and nobody missed you. Um, that may be true in the world, but we're not replaceable to our family and friends. And so I think we've gotten lost. I remember meeting a woman and she was just distraught about not spending enough time with her children. And I swear I'm not making this up. She got into her Porsche and drove off. It's like if you have a Porsche, you have options. You're just failing to execute them. (laughs) And so how do we have those conversations that help people step back from consumption and consumerism? And, you know, I've shared I'm 55. I went through divorce. I lost my second husband. Um, I'm an empty nester now. I've downsized five times in the past decade. And I'm happier than I've ever been with at most 20% of the stuff I had 15 (laughs) years ago when I was married to the father of my children. So I, I feel like I'm maybe, I don't want to say this in an egotistical way, but maybe a walking example that you can have a lot less stuff and and be just fine and actually be happy. Absolutely, uh, and, and you know you can't take that stuff with you. So you know if it's too much for you to be able to really enjoy it right now, why bother? Let's take a short break, and when we come back, we will continue talking with Gretchen about inner and outer happiness, 
as well as additional ways to start finding more happiness in your world. Thanks for listening. This is the EWN Podcast Network. Have you ever asked yourself this question? Why is it so hard to make a buck? (laughs) I know I have. Hi, I'm Sandra Yancey, founder and CEO of eWomen Network. What I have discovered after going from the brink of bankruptcy to running a multi-million dollar award-winning business is this. You can't build a million dollar dream hanging around minimum wage mindsets. My mission is one million women entrepreneurs generating one million dollars in annual revenue. So here's what I've done. I've created the mother of all entrepreneur success programs that you can access online on your time. It's called Monetize Me Now. It's a seven-module online course that is 100% my success formula, covering mindset, mission, management, motivation, marketing, and measure. Come on, take my hand, and I'll show you the way to learn to earn flowing revenue for your business. Visit monetizemenow.com for details. Welcome back to Shrinkwrapped. Today we're interviewing Gretchen Martins and discussing the project on happiness, life lessons from the epicenter of the global happiness movement in Bhutan. So, you, you talk about the difference between internal and external happiness. Elaborate a little bit more on that. You're talking about external just being those external possessions versus internal being how you feel about yourself, or is there more than that? That's the essence of it, and it it gets back to this diagnosis of Facebook depression. So I'm on Facebook, and I see that you've just gone to Tanzania, and my friend Susan just got a Gucci handbag, and my friend Joseph just is getting married and is moving into a McMansion, and I start to feel inadequate because I don't have the stuff, and I'm comparing myself to other people. And, And it's something I've carried with me a very long time, Uh, One of my mentors is a former Fortune 50 CEO. So I'm assuming, although of course I've never asked, that he's extremely wealthy. Um, He's extremely good looking and (laughs) happily married. Good for him. Um, And I also happen to know from spending time with him that he has type 1 diabetes. Um, That's a a life-threatening condition that he has to manage every single day of his life. So I may not be devastatingly beautiful and I may not have a huge home and be wealthy and I don't have a life-threatening illness. And so I think we compare ourselves to other people, but we never really know the shoes that they walk in or the histories that they carry. And so can we find ways to be happy without comparing ourselves to others, remembering that other people probably have hidden pieces to their lives that we don't know about, that no one is just blissfully happy. That's, that's something that happens in Hollywood, but not, not in real people's lives. And to find happiness day to day in the small moments. I remember when I lost my second husband, I had a gratitude practice. Every day I had to speak aloud gratitude for two minutes. It was really hard to find things to be grateful for. (laughs) And sometimes it was, I mean, and this may sound pathetic, but it's the practice that keeps you grounded in happiness. It was like, 
I'm so grateful for the blueberries I had on my oatmeal this morning because they were really, really sweet. I'd often do my gratitude practice in my patio and I would say, I'm so grateful for the warm, gentle breeze that's caressing my cheek. I mean, I had to dig deep. (laughs) But in doing that, it prevented me from just feeling sorry for myself. You know, and and I to me that's uh, right at the heart of an awful lot of stuff that that happens for so many people. We've lost sight of the things to be grateful for, and we're so focused on what's wrong, what's not enough, what's not right, what's this, that, and the other. And I mean, I've had patients say literally they couldn't think of anything in their life to be grateful for, and wow. you know, it's pretty easy to come around. Well, are you living in a cave right now? Do you have to fight off the lions? Mm-hmm. You know, (laughs) is it good that your child is healthy, you know, uh, and and that you have food and you're not starving to death and uh, on and on and on. And and yet it's as if it's drummed into us to look at the things that we'll be unhappy about instead of look at the things to be happy about. You know, you talk about is there a universal definition of happiness? You know, to me, it's it's kind of learning to be happy in the world you are and learning to accept your own uniqueness, your own specialness, and, and know that there's only one of you in the universe. But you've probably got a definition you came back from Bataan with, so lay it on us. Well, I, I actually agree with you that, that at the core, it comes down to choice. And I think happiness maybe looks a little bit different to every person, but I think it's that... Can we accept that happiness is where I'm at right now in the moment and and choosing that this is a happy moment? And and that's actually part of what I observed in Bhutan comes directly from Buddhism. And I understand that, you know, not trying to make this political, but, you know, there's a large swath of the United States that still follows the Judeo-Christian tradition. Um, and, And we're ruled by a Declaration of Independence, a constitution that guarantees the pursuit of happiness as an unalienable right. But if we're always pursuing happiness, we never arrive. So I really believe it's standing, being present in the moment, Mm -hmm. looking at what's going on and making a choice that this is happiness. And I know that sounds a little woo-woo, but I remember, so my second husband had a massive psychiatric breakdown, and that's a very long story, and you know the details aren't so relevant to this interview, but in the moment, and having been through different things in my life, I realized like there's a lesson here. And out of this very, very difficult, dark period of my life, uh, I got a beautiful gift of community, people that knew me in my business community, just were there for me. And I said, why are you doing this for me? And at the time I was working with military in transition and they said, we can't make your life go away, but we can help you build your nonprofit. And they did. And Mm -hmm. I also recognized that what I was learning in those really difficult days, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And Mm -hmm. I was working with military spouses who, you know, many of them were, oh my gosh, like 19, 20, 21. And they had a couple of babies and a high school education and no work experience. And they were going through exactly what I was going through. Only I was in my 40s and half of my friends are coaches and therapists. And I had money in the bank to carry me through. And, you know, there was such a gift in that, the gift of community, the gift of learning. And it's really 
gave me an entirely different foundation on which to talk to to um, caregivers of people with mental health issues. So when you're going through those difficult parts, can you also look for the gifts that are there? Because when you get a gift, that's a piece of happiness. I don't know if that makes sense. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. You know, one of the things I did on a regular basis with my patients is, you know, when Rhonda Byrne came out with the movie, The Secret, she also came out with a book called The Magic. Mm. And The Magic is a sort of a monthly day-by-day guide about how to look in various places in your life for things to be grateful for. Okay, To practice that, that whole process of changing things around so that you can be happier. And I watched that do miraculous, miraculous things with patients. Now, you're going to write a couple of books on happiness yourself, right? Right. So I have a little book just called Happiness, and it's uh, small quote books. I'm also a photographer, so I took 4,909 pictures when I was in Bhutan via India and Nepal. So it's a book of 30 pictures and 30 quotes about happiness that kind of guide you through a happiness journey. And I actually am going to be doing a series of little books on happiness, kindness, gratitude, but things that really contribute to the positive things in life, because I think we really need positive messaging in today's world. So that you can read it as just, hey, that's nice. It's like almost a little coffee table book or a, a you know briefcase book that you read on the train or sitting in the doctor's office. Or you can take it because the, the quotes are sequenced as a journey through some happiness practices. And then I'm writing a second book that should be out mid-November. It's part of a series called Your Amazing Itty Bitty Books. And mm-hmm. it's Your Amazing Itty Bitty Happiness Book. And it's uh, 15 Steps to Happiness, um, very short, specifically written for people who don't like to read a lot because we're not really a reading generation. And there'll be resources that go along with that. And then I'm working on the longer book, Think Like Bhutan, which really looks at the lessons that I learned from Bhutan. We're working on the subtitle, but something like Lessons from the the Happiest Place on Earth uh, that looks at what those lessons are. And it's it's sort of an I- irony because if you look at the happy global happiness index, Bhutan is now like number 85. And that whole system and their gross national happiness policy, which is tied to metrics that, that are measurable, uh, has been co-opted and, and colonized by the West. And if you look at the global happiness index, one of the things they look at is GDP, which was the, the whole point of GNH, gross national <laughs> happiness in Bhutan, is that there are things more important than money. But of course, now in the West, we have this list where Scandinavia is at the top of the list um, because they have such a great standard of living. So it's it's really kind of putting some perspective on that and looking at most of us are, are not fabulously wealthy and we're not going to be. And we're not going to be famous and we're not going to be powerful and, you know, we're probably, you know, if you're not already, you're not going to be amazingly, you know, beautiful or handsome. And so are we just going to let all those things make us permanently unhappy? How stupid would that be? Yeah, because it, it is so important. Just like, you know, acceptance has to come from inside. Happiness does as well. And and we need lots and lots of people like you uh, teaching people how to do that. 
So what are some well, of the And to you, Dr. Judy, because I know the work that you do, and it's so important, <clears throat> especially having been through um, caregiving people with mental illness in my own life, that we just take a different look at how we're just stuffing pills in people's mouths and not really dealing with the underlying root of the unhappiness and giving people tools to move forward in their lives. And yes, you know, mental, like depression is a chemical imbalance of the brain and that does need medication, but there are so many misdiagnoses and I so admire the work that you do and, and the authority that you bring as a psychiatrist saying, wait just a minute, let's just not stuff everybody full of pills. Right, right. And, and, and learning what's, what's underneath the pain is so important. I know you and I have both had the experience of working with, with veterans, and we'll probably talk about them at more length uh, closer to Veterans Day. But it took a long time before PTSD was recognized as a, as a valid diagnosis. And, and to really look at the, the realistic traumas and pains under there that are going to interfere with people's happiness and helping them get past that. And medicine is only a part of it. It can't do the whole thing. And, and that's well, true I mean, of pretty much any mental illness. Well, exactly. And I want to be very, very um, mindful and respectful as I say this, because there, there very much are people with post-traumatic stress who do need medications, who do need psychiatric care. And, and it's very, very important that they're courageous enough to say those three little words, I need help, and then to go out and get that help. And I also know that organizations like the Mission Continues, uh, which is veterans, I'm sure that they are in the, on the, around the coast of Texas helping out the flood victims. Mm -hmm. There are documented cases of veterans, post-9-11 veterans, who were dragged along to some community rescue uh, effort with severe PTS, and their friends were like, come on, I'm taking you there, and they walked away symptom-free, out of re-engaging with people, re-engaging in a sense of purpose and mission and contribution. So I don't want to minimize that there are actual psychiatric diagnoses that need medication, that need therapy. But, but with the messaging that you're bringing out into the world now, there's also a tremendous amount of healing and possibility simply in engaging in your community and re-engaging in life. And I've been so impressed with the work they do, and it's not just with veterans, because I think that's true for many, many people in our society that just need to, and it's where we started this conversation. <laughs> you know, we don't know our neighbors. Our families are strewn all over. Uh, we, we don't see people face to face. And at the end of the day, we're primates, and we're hardwired for community and not meant in a sexual way for, for touching, for hugging. Um, that, that's how we're hardwired, because we're primates. Yes, and that is so very important that we recognize that and be happy and at peace with that. Reaching out and touching someone is an important thing to do. So on top of that, what are some of the practices you can share with listeners that can help them start working on building happiness right now while they're waiting for some of the other things that you're going to offer them? Well, one of the things, uh, especially in in the place that the United States is right now with 
so much bad news. And, and this isn't a political statement because it's people on both sides of the aisle that are very stressed. And we have so many things going on in our world. Turn off the TV. I have friends back in, in Washington, D.C., and they keep saying, we need to get you here to do happiness seminars. And they're watching TV all day long, checking in on the news. And I think that's something, it's self-protective to take a break. Um, however tragic these things that are going on are, if we get so inundated that we become immobilized, we can't make any positive differences in our lives. And so I think that's, you know, take care of yourself is is rule number one. And then looking at what are the barriers to happiness? Uh, you know, do you, I think a lot of people believe that they don't deserve to be happy or they've given up. My father actually told me, well, happiness just doesn't fit, fit into his life. He's never thought about it. How, mm, how sad is that? And really do we give ourselves permission to do the things that make us happy? I think it's, it's looking at the barriers to happiness within ourselves, and that that could be a podcast unto itself. Yeah. And I would have a million things to say, and then, then practices that that increase happiness. Um, so, can you practice gratitude for the small things when someone does something that's hurtful? Can we have compassion? You know, Jesus says, "Turn the other cheek." Um, you don't have to be, and, and that's actually that, that compassion and loving kindness is, is a universal message in all religions. Can we mm-hmm. practice non-judgment towards especially ourselves and also towards others and forgive ourselves and others? Can we celebrate small joys and happinesses as a success? So I think there's there's small things that we can do. We think that it's like, oh, I need to go on a vacation or buy a new car or go shopping. But there are little things that don't take a lot of time, that don't cost any money, that make a tremendous difference in our happiness. And I actually um, just wrote something the other day, but I, I read that when you do an act of service, you volunteer, it increases your happiness by 16%. This comes from psychology studies. It's the equivalent to quadrupling your income. So there's so much need in the world if all of your listeners were to just on a weekly basis contribute something to someone else with no, without looking for what they're going to get back. That in and of itself, that act of service, act of contribution will increase their happiness. That's a, a great lesson. You know, going back to what you said about the news, I, I'm, I'm so in agreement on that. I, I tell people all the time, watch the news list, and especially don't, don't watch it just before you go to bed. And I even have a little uh, video clip on my website. It's called The Good News About the Bad News. <laughs> because what I stress to people is, you know, the media does a great job of looking all over the world to find enough stuff to fill a 30-minute news segment that gets replayed over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. So the media makes it look as if it's this lion hanging over us every minute ready to pounce. But in fact, if you look at it realistically and you reframe it, then you can say, oh, wow, you know, that's a little threat out there, but look how safe the world is. And, and that's another thing that can help people relax, ease up. And I mean, it's hard to be happy when you're all tense and, and afraid that tiger's going to strike. So uh, using that to relax is important. 
Exactly. So anyway, you, tell me about you. You have put together a happiness society. Is that correct? Yeah, so when I got back from Bhutan, I was looking at how can I make a difference? You know, just like start where you're at. And I think this is another thing we think, oh, well, you know, I have to do this and this and I need a website. And, and I thought, okay, I'm back from Bhutan. I, I can start a Facebook community. Like that's very simple. I have several thousand Facebook friends. So uh, on Facebook, it's called the Happiness Society at Resilient Happiness. And it's a place where people can go to share ideas about happiness. And I do some podcasting there. I do postings there. And then the other piece of that, and again, it's like start where you're going. It takes a while to get a book written and published. Uh, the other piece that I started with is you can type the word, send the word happiness to 33222 on your cell phone. So happiness to 33222 is the recipient of the text message. And you get a free daily happiness message from me. And this is something, actually, ironically, in this this soul-sucking job I left, I loved my clients. And I had about 90 coaching clients. And when I started telling them that I was leaving, they didn't say they were going to miss me. We're all replaceable, Dr. Judy. They said, oh, <laughs> what about our happy Friday messages? And then there'd be like Wacky Wednesday and Merry Monday. And, and this was their big concern. And it's like, oh, well, apparently this is a thing that I do. And, and it actually is a strength. So... Mm -hmm. Anyway, every day you'll just get a little happiness text and, you know, sometimes they're just silly and sometimes they're thought provoking and sometimes there's a call to action, but it's really just to get people thinking happier thoughts. And I know this sounds, it's, I like to say it's simple, but not simplistic. Being in Bhutan, inside of happiness, what I observed is there's no room for anger, for hatred, for violence, for warfare. There's no room for depression, anxiety, suicide. Those things just don't exist inside of happiness. And so if we can each be happier as individuals and spread that happiness, that will shift our society. And again, it's simple but not simplistic. And I've met so many people that say, well, there's so much wrong in the world. What can I do? But if you yourself find ways to be grounded in internally driven happiness, and you share that and teach that to other people, and it's very simple but not simplistic, we will see changes in our society. It, 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 there, there's just no way for that not to happen. And, and my big vision for the world is that we, well, let me take a step back here. In, in 2009 at the Vancouver Peace Summit, the Dalai Lama said that the world would be healed by Western women. I mean, this is the head of Tibetan Buddhism looking mm -hmm. to Western women who almost by definition are not Buddhist. Uh, and then you look at the European Renaissance and people have estimated it was caused by a thousand people. So if we play those numbers forward to today, it will take 15,000 Western women to create a new global renaissance to heal the world. And that's actually the commitment that I've made. I'm committed to creating that community by 2020. We have, we, we have more than 15,000 capable Western women, and I also say non-Western women and aligned thinking men, to create that, and that the vehicle is happiness. And, and, and that's, and, and that's so simple. Cool. It's something each of us can do. 
You know, and I, I think it is so, so important. We can't repeat the message often enough. The happiness, the, the, our peace has to come from inside us. It doesn't depend on that other person fixing themselves to suit me. It comes to us being at peace with the world is how it is. How will I be okay? How will I navigate my way through? Uh, because that person is not going to change to suit me, but I can change how I relate to them in the world to make my world happy for me, to -hmm. make my world peaceful for me. And I don't think we can ever have world peace as long as there are so many people who are not at peace with themselves. So I think your happiness project is a really, really wonderful thing to help people along that journey. Well, thank you for that. Like I said, I, I believe it's one way that we can all take control in spite of whatever is going on in our lives. We can all choose to be happy and we can choose to share happiness. Okay, so Gretchen, it's been absolutely wonderful having you here on the show and spreading some happiness and teaching people a few tricks that they can use to be happier. And uh, I look forward to seeing what happens with you and your books. And again, people, if you want a happiness message, text happiness uh, to 33222 uh, or go to her uh, Facebook page at Resilient Happiness uh, to find more information and more inspiration. And Gretchen and I look forward to seeing you around in some of our other places where we meet up. Thank you so much, Dr. Judy. It's been a wonderful interview. I really appreciate the opportunity to be on your show. Thank you. It's been so great having you here. Thanks for listening. This is the EWN Podcast Network. I'm Sandra Yancey, CEO and founder of eWomen Network. We invite you to listen to all of our EWN Podcast hosts, at EWNPodcastNetwork.com. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.